0: This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast with your hosts, Scott Walker and Jamie Davis, episode 191. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy and Sci-Fi Reads. I'm here with my co-host, urban and cozy fantasy author, Scott Walker, um, hey Scott, you know I'm, I'm excited to be back. We're we're kicking off our fall season after a much needed summer of family time and travel, and I'm excited to get back together with you and start interviewing some great authors. I know the last time we talked, though, you were you had just started working on your co- cozy urban fantasy series. You'd already written like a, a intro book that you had up for free called Daisies or Dwarves and Daisies. I read Dwarves and Daisies while I was at the beach. And what a fun read. I like banged it out in an afternoon. It was just an amazing book. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters. It was just a lot of fun. So I'm curious, you know, what's going on with that series? What do you have coming up with that?
1: Yeah, it's really lots of news going on with that, actually. I've done uh, first drafts for, for books two and three. I'm currently, uh, this is October 2nd. day we're recording this. I am in the midst of plotting book four. Book two is up for pre-order for December 1st. I'm hoping to get books three and four out shortly after that. So um, the short answer is, you know, I'm I'm working on literally three more novels. The series will be at least that long. We'll have a prequel novella, a little freebie that people can jump into and see if they like the world. If they like that, they can move on to books two, three, and four. And um, I've got another project that I've been working on since March with a handful of other authors it is a shared story world. It's one that I created and I invited a bunch of other authors to come play in this new sandbox with me. I think I think I can, I, we're talking about it a little bit. You know, the website goes live in a day or two, but I can at least say that it is a cozy fantasy shared world. Uh, the name of the project is Cozy Veils, V as in Victor, A-L-E-S, Cozy Veils and we have had an absolute blast. Uh, a couple of days ago we had the deadline for our short story submissions that are going to be going into our anthology later this year. And I started reading them, taking a sneak peek at them. Amazing. Just a lovely intro to this world. It's going to be a wonderful read for readers. The anthology will be free as an ebook. So again, you can kind of download it, taste it if you like it. Enjoy that world. There's lots more coming from it. So look for more details in future podcasts and from my social media accounts about that project. I'm very excited about that. But between the Manhattan Magic series that I'm working, my cozy urban fantasy series, and between this new cozy fantasy world, I've got a lot on my plate. I've been very busy, my friend. Very, very busy. What about you?
0: Well, let's see. Um, I've been um, working on finishing up, as we speak, uh, probably this week, I'll finish up Frontier Law, which is book seven in my uh, Lone Wolf Squadron series. It's a sci-fi series. I I call it kind of a space western. Um, This this next section of the series is kind of a hearkening back to an old TV series I used to watch occasionally called Wagon Train, and uh, about people traveling to the you know, colonists traveling to the West and trying, you know, looking for their homesteads. And um, so I, I really uh, kind of just delved into that whole that whole genre. Um, but in a space sparing sci fi world um, that I've been able to write in uh, thanks to Michael Anderley and um, his Catherian Gambit universe. So I've been excited about that
1: it's it, i have to say um you know you keep talking about this series you you talk about your inspiration being this mashup of the old west and sci-fi and and for me it connotes for the longest time it's connoted firefly for obvious reasons but you and i just downloaded starfield and there is a ton of western themes and aesthetics and elements surprisingly in that game i did not think they were going to lean quite that hard into the wild west meets the Open world space yeah. uh, theme, the way they did. I'm digging it. I got the whole
0: Freestar Rangers thing is yeah. just amazing um, right? in Starfield. So um, for those of you that are gamers out there, I highly recommend Bethesda Softworks new game, Starfield. It's been out for about a month now. Um, it's just incredible and rich and full of content and full of inspiration and just a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. If you if you dug Fallout, if you dug Skyrim and you like sci-fi. This is this is everything you're going to want.
0: Awesome! Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Well, let's I tell you what. Let's get into this week's episode guest because I'm really excited about it. We Matt Larkin was a guest on this podcast probably in the first year when I was doing it solo back in the day, Um, and we talked about at the time we talked about one of his um, series that had to do I think with um, Greek mythology. But his original series was had to do with Norse mythology, and he's revisiting that series, kind of reworking it, and it's so exciting. I can't wait for you all to hear the interview that we did with Matt. Um, why don't you go ahead and read Matt's bio, and then we'll get into that interview.
1: Yeah, uh, check that out, Kickstarter campaign. It's wild. Really cool stuff going on there, a little different from most of the campaigns that typically see. Very, very excited to talk to him about it. All right, let's talk about his bio. Along with his wife and daughter, Matt Larkin lives as a digital nomad, traveling the world conducting research for his novels. He reads approximately a bazillion books a year, loves video games, and relaxes by binge watching Netflix with his wife. Matt writes retellings of mythology as dark, gritty fantasy. His passions for myths, philosophy, and history inform his series. He strives to combine gut-wrenching action with thought-provoking ideas and culturally resonant stories. And with that, let's get into our chat. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Would you do us a favor, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about the books that you write.
2: Uh, Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I am Matt Larkin and I write uh, retellings of mythology and folklore as um, historical fantasy. So my, originally uh, I, I got known for writing retellings of Norse mythology and I am now revisiting that after many years. So, I'm very excited about that.
0: Um, So what is it about Norse mythology in particular that brought you back around to revisit that, um, the history and things about it? What is it that draws you to write fantasy in that setting?
2: Well, what brought me back to it most is that that's still where I get the most requests for more content, honestly. Like I I hear from fans – even now, years later, saying, you know, when will we see more of this? Uh, When can we hear this side story about this character? Or can we uh, can you do a retelling of this? Or, you know, I always wished there was more. Um, And it was always one of those things that I I was like, well, you know, it'd be nice to return to one day. And um, so now um, one of the things that I'm doing is um, a revision of uh, my three series for a couple of reasons. But the biggest one was that when I wrote it, I, I wrote uh, a cu- um, three series that sort of intertwined with each other. And I was like, oh, that's going to be cool. And people will just go off to whatever path they're interested in or whatever. Uh, and since then, I have realized, no, that just causes a lot of confusion because readers are like, well, which, which book should I read next? And where do I go? And that thought, no, it's going to be better to bring this all back in into one Giant narrative uh, where their readers are being guided through a path of all these um, Norse sagas and how they interconnect.
1: Very, very cool. So, when I was growing up uh, as a young kid, I was fascinated with the Japanese culture. And I'm curious, at what point did you get bit by the Norse mythology bug? Were you a kid? Were you an adult? What, do you remember the, what the trigger was or what the catalyst was for that fascination?
2: Well it wasn't specifically Norse mythology it was uh, mythology in general i was um I was about six years old and um my parents read the Lord of the Rings with me and um I remember reading through it and somewhere around the line uh getting fascinated um with the origins of fantasy and and how it grew out of mythology and um uh, where Tolkien had drawn his inspirations and um when i was a little bit older and the internet became a thing in people's households um you know i started getting on the um web and just like googling everything about every mythology ever that i I could find and um you know um there was an 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 encyclopedia of mythology i don't even remember what it was called but i was like printing all the articles and i had like hundreds and hundreds of pages in these binders with highlights and notes and um like very uh, obsessed with this stuff. Uh, and Norse mythology was just one of many that, that I liked a lot. Um, and somewhere around the line, somewhere down the line, I, I came up with this idea that, you know, what if Norse mythology had actually happened, uh, in the ice age, you know, 10,000 years ago. Um, and that these were like preserved stories of, of people that had lived. And so I, I started developing that and that just became like one part of a greater, um, uh setting of interconnected myths so my norse mythology and greek mythology and um, asian mythology they all actually take place in the same world just at different time periods and there's uh overlap and um connections and sometimes characters or uh, spirits that uh um, exist in all all the different series
1: holy moly okay that sounds like well First off, that sounds crazy, uh, uh, crazily complicated in terms of the building you've done, and um,
2: <laughs>
1: um, and I want to dive into that. And I, you know, I noticed we'll talk about this in a few minutes. I noticed on your current Kickstarter campaign, you refer to the collection of hardbacks as your "quote unquote" director's cut, and mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, I want to talk about that in a couple seconds, but let's let's reel things back in for just a second. Talk a little bit about your bio. Um, You mentioned that you're a digital nomad and I'm curious because I know this, this happens to me. Jamie's talked about this with his writing. I'm curious how the places that you visit places that you live impact the stories that you tell.
2: Yeah, that was actually one of the main reasons for us becoming digital nomads is I realized pretty early on that it, that they would have a huge impact. I mean, because I'm writing about folklore and mythology, that comes from real cultures, uh, that they, they were born from real places. They were affected by the landscape, by the people um, that it doesn't grow up out of a vacuum. So I really wanted to see these places that inspired the legends. I wanted to interact with the people who lived there. I wanted to absorb as much as I could firsthand. And we were taking these trips um, as we could, research trips, you know, to um, India and uh, Italy, Greece, um, Hawaii, when I was researching my Polynesian series. But as you can imagine, these these trips overseas, they're expensive. Right? I mean, it's, it's just not a thing that I could do on a writer's salary on a regular basis. And for the scale of the project, the number of countries involved, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm never going to have a chance to see all these places that I wanted to see. In fact, I had to write my Norse series without actually having seen uh, Sweden at the time when I originally wrote it. Uh, I just I couldn't I could not afford that. Um, so I, I had to make do with loads of research and pictures and talking to people and all but I couldn't actually go there. And um, we at some point we started thinking, you know, well, why we, we could afford to be anywhere if we had no bills at home and um nothing tying us down. So we we sold all of her stuff and we started traveling and just staying in these countries. And I did make it to Sweden and Denmark and stayed there and did fresh research for this series because by that point, I knew I wanted to revisit it. Um, so I would say it has an enormous impact. Um, I spent, when I was working on my Greek series, I was um, living in Albania, just very, very close to Greece. I had already been to Greece, so we chosen a different country. It was, um, it was in the middle of COVID, and um, so most of the other countries, including Greece, were locked down, and I couldn't have gone back to Greece, but I was able to visit um, North Macedonia and other areas of, of what in ancient times was Illyria, um, and it was just, it was really fascinating to visit these you know, ancient Greek ruins and just really feel like, um, you know, while I'm working on this series and really feel the atmosphere, if that makes sense, feel the energy of, of the original places that inspired these stories.
0: You know, it's amazing. I, I just got back from a trip to the beach with my family, and one of my upcoming books is um, called Summer Break, Faye. And I've like, I, I, I told Amy we're writing off this whole trip because this is inspiration for my next book. And um, <laughs> you know, and and it's great to be able to do that as an author to to really take those those opportunities to to just immerse yourself in the culture and it's so cool to hear that you got the opportunity to do all of that with your family um and 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 give every one of you the experience of being in those cultures and immersing yourself in in those worlds that must be really like just a shared experience for you all
2: Yeah, my, 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 well, my wife and I talk about it constantly, but even my daughter who, who just turned eight, she talks about it all the time, talks about, oh, we did this in Japan and I had so much fun in Singapore and, um, you know, uh, where else did she like, she liked Bali. Um, I think everybody likes Bali, but, um, you know, she would talk about the places we different, uh, that we went to, but it's interesting because. For us, a lot of it doesn't feel like that long ago, but for her, her memories of something that may have happened two years ago, now she's like, I don't remember that clearly. Um, so, uh, but yeah, regardless, for all three of us, I think it was uh, one of the most amazing experiences we've had in our life. Now, I know the one of the main reasons
0: we wanted to get you back on the podcast is you have a very successful Kickstarter project running right now. It's fully funded. Um, you've already hit, I think, your first stretch goal or you're close to it, um, which is really exciting. Um, and it's for your Ragnarok Prophecies series, which is the reworked Norse mythology series, I guess. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what it offers for readers who, and people who collect special edition books, which is what this is.
2: Uh Yeah, uh, that that actually that has two reasons why I wanted to do this. One is the one that I told you already. I really wanted to take all these different Ragnarok stories I had and bring them together in a single um, series, which is something I wanted to do for a while since I finished. But in the past, I didn't feel like my skill level uh, with narrative structure was where it needed to be to um, really join all these things seamlessly these different threads together. uh, I felt like, you know, at that point they were written as different books and they weren't, um, even though they connected to each other, you know, it just wasn't set up that way. And when I was working on my most recent series before this, I kind of really pushed my um, comfort zone and and learned some stuff. And I felt like, uh, you know, now I am ready to do something that hadn't even occurred to me to do before when weaving these things together structurally. This was a chance for that. But the other thing, and we were talking about this before we started the recording was um the idea of these faux leather uh, editions is just like so cool i had these when i was in college like for the lord of the rings whatever you go and you you just feel it in your hands and it's just like it's a really wonderful feeling to have a book like that and you know um have illustrations and all all these special features and that as an independent author that was a thing that i just thought was kind of like beyond my reach i mean i knew it was th- theoretically possible to do that but I didn't I didn't know how or if that was a thing that I could do and then I um, heard about one of my friends doing it and he said I asked him um, how are you doing this and he said well I'm working with this company that specializes in producing deluxe editions I mean that's all they do is produce these uh, deluxe editions of um, fantasy books it's like oh gosh yeah I really want to do that I want to be able to look at my shelf and, and think this is this is something uh, a real collector's item. It's going to have um, you know illustrations of the characters, and it's going to have uh, this Smithstone binding, so not glued like the um, the sewn binding, so that if you lay it flat, it doesn't start peeling apart, and uh, you know all this um, all these special features that we could put in there, the f- uh, foil stamping, and yeah, as you said, we reached a stretch goal, and as we get to more and more stretch goals, we're able to pay for more art or more special features so it's just it's a really exciting process
1: it sounds like it it sounds like it um for those of us who are not familiar with this particular series your books your world your characters are there are there a couple of main characters primary characters is this a game of thrones cast of a thousand story like what 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 can readers expect when they dive into this
2: so um there are six main characters in this series. So it is kind of hefty. I don't know if I'd call it Game of Thrones level, but, um, you know, that, that's more than your typical uh, fantasy book. Um, and it's kind of telling two different, closely related parallel storylines. One is talking about um, Odin and his people, and there are three point of view characters for that, uh, that line. Um, where Odin is a person who's um, living in the ice age and he's living in this, this very harsh uh, world where people are struggling to survive because of the cold and the inability to to do much planting because of the short seasons. And um, he comes across this opportunity to become immortal, but it comes with a price. And he thinks uh, he goes back and forth and he decides to accept it and take on the price um without totally understanding what that price is and he thinks he can make the world better and then the other people are um mortals who after odin has established himself as a new god he's overthrown the old gods uh who are also just happen to be humans that have managed to be immortal um he is he has gotten this vision of the future of of ragnarok coming and now he's manipulating these humans trying to make sure that Ragnarok can be won and human life can continue on earth. So, uh, the stories are, are very, there's like three, di- uh, sorry, two different um, stories going forward with three characters on each story. Um, but they're very closely related. So I think if you, if you're going from one to another back and forth, you're going to see, um, how things are, are unfolding, um, you know, kind of, uh, I can't think of a great example uh, from pop culture. It's going to say in a way it's sort of like lost where you have all these different narrative threads that are uh, weaving together. Um, but yeah, not, not, not jumping around as much as lost did.
0: Do you think that maybe um something like, um, Oh, I'm trying to think pulp fiction, you know, that kind of like where all the stories in the movie kind of come together at the end and they all make sense. Is that what you're looking, is that what you tried to do or is that, even not though, that
2: complicated. Not yeah. that but, complicated, but, but something. Yeah, I like. mean, I, I think I think it's very obvious what's going on from from the first moment. Um, you're 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 looking at these stories, and you're going to see more and more details about how they come together by the end. But uh, from what I recall, Pulp Fiction has been many years since I've seen it. But um, you're you're seeing things very much out of order in that movie. Yes, I think. not it should be clear uh, in in my books exactly what's happening when. Uh, it's just the reasons that you may need more time to understand.
0: So, and these are retellings of classical Norse mythology. What are the aspects of your story that people will recognize from a classical understanding of Norse mythology? You mentioned Odin. Are, are some of the other Norse gods represented as well?
2: Yeah, uh, all all the characters in the story are characters from the sagas or um, from, from Norse mythology. So the, the main um, I see are, are um, Odin, Tyr, and Sigyn um sigmund being the the woman who becomes loki's wife uh, those are the main point of view characters there and in the um the mortals we hear the story of um sigmund Starkad, and herver who are, who are all characters from uh various norse sagas so sigmund is um most famous for um He's one of the most famous uh, sagas. Uh, he's the son of Volsung, and he's got his whole own saga about him called the Volsung Saga about him and his son, uh, Siegfried. It's really interesting stuff. It's one of the more interesting sagas in Norse mythology, one of the more famous ones.
1: Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing that you are taking inspiration from these and stitching together some of these mythologies in a way that expands this original world that you've come up with. Um, back uh, probably 2020, I think I published a series of what I called expanded Japanese myths. A lot of these collective uh, legends, myths, urban stories, those types of things were really short. I'd find collections where a story might only be two or three pages at most. And for me, I was just getting into the story when it ended and i wanted to to be able to enjoy those a little bit longer spend some more time with some of those characters so i i took the liberty to take some of these really really short ones and expand them into short story proper short story links as opposed to closer to flash fiction i'm guessing you took a simpler or a similar approach with this where you looked at the building blocks of the established norse mythology and then begin began to insert your own stories in between those legends or find new stories as a way to stitch and thread the existing mythologies into a larger world tapestry.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly uh, what's going on here. Um, The other thing that I think is important to remember with uh, any kind of um, ancient mythology is that uh, there is no established canon. I mean, people like to talk about, oh, is this true to the myth or whatever? Well, the important thing to remember is that these stories were often orally told across vast landscapes over vast periods of time. So there are a lot of different versions, even recorded versions in print that contradict each other. Sometimes they contradict themselves. Uh, I mean, if you look at um, the Eddas or whatever, even within the same Edda, there's there's contradictions that make no sense. Um, so when I'm trying to take these and write a realistic story, um, you know, I'm picking and choosing the pieces that are gonna make the most coherent narrative. Uh, or, you know, I'm looking at, um, some of the other authors, um, you know, a lot of what we have is recorded, uh, from Iceland, but, you know, there are author- also, uh, authors in, um, Denmark that, that have some, uh, recordings and even in- into Germany. Um, so you, you're trying to take, uh, or for me, I'm trying to take, uh, as many of the different sagas as I can and figure out how to create something that feels cohesive and feels like, um... Also realistic because it's supposed to be more historical fantasy. So, um, you know, maybe something about like Thor accidentally drinking the ocean and making the ocean level drop. Maybe I'm not going to have that exact thing. I'm just going to have a nod to it where it's like, you know, he drank a hell of a lot, but, you know, he didn't make the level of the ocean drop or something like that. Because here I'm I'm, I'm taking um, kind of a humoristic, approach to a lot of these things and treating these as, as basically humans um, that maybe have a little bit of supernatural ability, but um, not to the level that you sometimes see in mythology.
0: So I've I'm personally in some of my stories, I've become really obsessed with side characters and creating the lovable side characters that that readers really look forward to having that cameo appearance from. And and I've been able to construct that in, in one of my series with a couple of characters. Is there a favorite side character that you've developed in any of your series um, that that has just been one of those people that you just look forward to bringing back into the story at some point?
2: Well, um, yeah, I I think, I mean, I actually do quite a lot with with side characters. I have um, interludes in the books that allow the readers who are, uh, you you recall, I was saying uh, a lot of readers are always asking, oh, can I have a story for this person or this person or whatever? And I don't want to, I don't want to go the route of having um, 20 point of view characters that I have to follow So instead, I've got a little short story in the middle, and it ties into the main story, uh, and it allows me to give a point of view from another character. But one recurring character that appears in um, all of the books is Loki, and he's been really one of the most popular characters that I have. Well, uh, you only see little bits and pieces from his point of view, and I think if you read the books, it would be obvious why. Because, you know, I really don't want the reader to necessarily be privy to everything that Loki knows is going on uh, for various reasons. Um, so you just get little snippets, but uh, his point of view has always been, I think, a particular favorite that I hear a lot of fans talk about and are interested in. They're always like, oh, I want to know more about this uh, and and how does this fit together. So it, he's a fun one to write. Um, a little bit different from the, a lot different from the Marvel version of Loki and a little bit different from the um, the version you see in mythology, maybe closer to the original pre-Christian Loki before he got sort of um, demonized. Um, Most evidence indicates he was originally more of a trickster fire God than um, any sort of evil figure. And um, so, uh, you know, I put a lot of uh, inspiration from that.
1: So I'm curious... You know, I I have written for the most part ninety percent of my stories and my characters and my worlds. When when I do create them, uh, they're all original. They they come from the ether, from the muse, from wherever. You're taking existing characters and then you're putting them in new narratives, new new world situations. Does that affect how you write them, how you approach them, how you? Uh, Alter them uh, as opposed because I'm I'm I know you've done other stories, but for someone who's adapting, for lack of a better term, an existing character as opposed to coming up with a character from scratch, I'm curious to what degree you you wanted to customize these or needed to customize these characters for the kinds of stories you wanted to tell and the world you wanted to create.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so. I, I try to do as much research as I can. I try to read all the primary sources and, um, you know, a lot of secondary sources and really try to absorb as much as I can, do as much research as I can. And once I have all of that, um, you know, I, I try to remain true to the characters as much as I can. Um, but in many cases, like you were talking about with these um uh japanese mythology where it was you know really short stories um somebody's not much more than a name i chose uh sigin as one of my main characters and in norse mythology she's really not much more than a name i mean she's famous for being married to loki and after loki gets um chained up and the, the venom of a serpent is dripping on his face uh her role is to catch the venom in a, in a bucket. And whenever she has to go to empty the bucket, it drips on his face and he rides around and causes earthquakes. Right. And that's the whole of her character. Um, so Sigyn, as she exists in my books, um, is in, in many ways, just an original creation, um, because she didn't have any personality or agency or anything in the stories that are preserved for us. Uh, but, um, within my, uh, within my, um, uh, creation, uh, she becomes a really, really important force uh, for driving um, the plot forward and um, revealing the world. And to me, she was one of the most fun ones to write. So oh. I, I guess you could say that. Yeah, she's um, in some ways it's kind of freeing not to have uh, any like any any guidelines to follow with somebody and just be able to create something from whole cloth, as you were saying, Scott. Hmm.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's in some ways, it's, they're very different approaches with equally, you know, fun and uh, rewarding experiences in terms of how the product ends up turning out. But yeah, very, very different because I, you know, I had to go in and take these characters and in order to get to that expanded narrative that I wanted, it required me to dig a little bit deeper into the character's motivations, perhaps habits, mannerisms, Uh, I needed to kind of flesh them out more than they were in these stories. And that was a very, it was similar in some ways to creating a character from whole but it was also different because I didn't want to stray too far away from the original source material. Um, So it's been interesting to hear you talk about your process for that. Um, I got to imagine given how old the series is that you've had some reactions from readers. Um, Clearly you've already hit your original benchmark for the Kickstarter campaign. That tells us how much readers who are existing want to uh, enjoy this collector's edition, this, this director's cut, as you call it. Um, what's it been like to deal with reader reactions for this series? I think as a writer, as an author, one of the most, uh, usually one of the most fun ex- parts of that career is seeing the reviews, seeing the ratings, having readers talk about their experiences going through this world you created What's that been like for you with this particular series?
2: Um, well, I, I've received like a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. So that's been really rewarding. You know, I've talked to some people that I maybe hadn't heard from in a few years because, um, you know, this was just their favorite thing. And maybe they were a little quieter about some of the other mythologies that I've um, put forward. And, you know, after talking to them now, I've heard, well, yeah, I, I read those. They just weren't as talkative about them. Um so, I, yeah, I would say it's been overall um, very positive. I certainly haven't had anybody say, you know, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing more uh, Norse mythology? You already you already hit that. That's, that's done. Um, and, and it sounds silly to say that out loud, but I, yeah, you maybe had a little bit of a fear that it was like uh, if somebody was going to say, okay, well, you know, I already liked it the way it was. Um, why do you need to add more content, right? Why do you need to um, mess with... Uh, in in Star Wars with uh, George Lucas adding stuff to the uh, the original and you know somebody's got to complain about that they're like well why do you have to add that tail in with Jabba the Hutt so that he actually steps on something. Um, So I don't know yeah I I had that fear but that hasn't seemed to be the case at all. Everybody's been very enthusiastic and and it it encourages me uh, to do this plus it's a new edition gives me a, the time where I can go and add new material, new scenes, uh, and that's been really fun to work on after all these years. I can edit things, I can um, smooth things. I can. It's going to get uh, a pass from my new editor, who's really fantastic. Um, so I'm really excited about it
1: all. Okay, that, that's cool. That that explains the whole director's cut reference on your Kickstarter campaign page, which which again I loved. I doubt. Dealt- I have never seen anybody use that or an author use that for the Kickstarter campaigns. That's really cool to hear you give us a little more uh, detail about that. Um, Jamie, I I think... I think it's time. Do we have any more questions?
0: No, no, I was just thinking the same thing. I think we've we've kind of gotten down to the end here. And um, it's time for the part of the podcast we call No Wrong Answers. And that's five rapid fire questions. There are literally no wrong answers, Matt. You can't get it wrong. Um, so we're just going to kind of go through. First thing that pops into your head, that's your answer. Go, ahead, go with it. And um, we'll be done before you know it. So if you're ready to go, we'll get started. All right. All right, here we it. go. Um, when you read physical book or ebook? Uh, ebooks.
1: Pineapple on a Pizza. Yes
2: or no? Absolutely. Yes. The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings? The Lord of the Rings.
1: Thor or Loki?
2: <laughs> Are we talking uh, Marvel or um, traditional? Uh, I, 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 no, thought, I, I, I thought we'd leave that, that one up to you. Either way, uh, I would go with Loki, I think. (laughs) All right.
0: Apple or pumpkin pie? (laughs) Uh, Pecan. (laughs) 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 No wrong answers. That's absolutely right. All right. That's awesome.
1: Well, it's it's been a lot of fun. I got to give Jamie some kudos for not throwing in pumpkin spice. Uh, But it has been, aside from that, it's been a great time chatting with you, Matt, learning more about your world, the Kickstarter campaign. Again, you've already hit your your mark. Good luck. You've got, I think, eight more days as of the recording of this particular podcast. Uh, Just real quick, tell us where people can find out more about your books. Remind us when your Kickstarter ends and let us know how readers can connect with you.
2: Uh, Yeah, the Kickstarter ends on the 10th of October. So there's eight days left. Um, They can find out more about my books at mattlarkandbooks.com. And um, hopefully Jamie can drop an actual link to the Kickstarter in there because that URL is kind of ridiculous. So uh, I won't try to read that out loud.
0: We will definitely yeah. have links in the show notes for everything we talked about and especially your Kickstarter campaign. And um, we'll spread the word as well when we we get the podcast out there. Um, we'll, we'll include links in our posts about
2: that too. Well, thanks very much, guys. It was good talking to you again. It was nice to see you and uh, hopefully we'll chat soon.
1: Likewise. Thanks so much, Matt.
0: Yeah. Wow, chatting with Matt was so much fun. I suddenly have a hankering for amazing and beautiful hardcover fantasy books. Um, I urge people to h- get a, get over there and check out his Kickstarter. It's open for about a week from the release of this podcast episode. It closes out on October tenth. And it's the Ragnarok Prophecies Kickstarter. You should be able to find it there. You can also find the links on the page where we have his episode. We'll have the links there at jamiedavisbooks.com, as well as all of our social media links for this episode as well, because um, I really want people that really love amazing collectible hardcover books. This is, you can't go wrong. You just can't go wrong. So I'm excited about that. Um. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up, Scott. How can folks get in touch with you and find out more about your cozy fantasy world, your cozy mystery, se- your cozy urban <laughs> fantasy series? Um, you've got so many things going on, but it's all cozy.
1: It it is. That that is that is the watchword for the end of 2023 and 2024. Uh basically, I'm online everywhere at ScottisWriting. And if you go to ScottisWriting.com, you can download a free book for my Japanese series, Little Yokai. That will most likely be changing very soon to a cozy story. So if you want that book, please go down to uh go to scottiswriting.com. Grab that right now. And uh, like I said, on social media, pretty much Scott is writing everywhere. How about you, Jamie?
0: You can find me at jamiedavisbooks.com or on my fun fantasy readers, Facebook group. And I also want to make sure you check out the podcast on my website and subscribe to the show at jamiedavisbooks.com. You can click on any of the podcast tabs at the top of the page um, or subscribe in the sidebar. Um, There's ways to subscribe in your favorite mobile device. Also getting even by email. Um, But you definitely want to make sure you catch our upcoming episodes. We've got some amazing authors coming up for you. So um, I'll just leave it at that. Until next time, I'm Jamie Davis.
1: And I'm Scott Walker. And we're asking you to keep on reading and keep listening right here to the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Yeah.